So today on Open Mind, I'm joined by the little pocket rocket, Alice Living. She's a personal trainer, a blogger, a best-selling author. She's had an active wear collection in Primark. She's a monthly columnist for Women's Health magazine, and she's only 27. What do you not do, Alice? <laughs> Lots of things. <laughs> Lots of things. Oh, thanks. That was such a nice introduction. <laughs> yeah, what are you been... going to do like from now until you're 30? I mean, what more is left? Do you know what? Though? That is the pressure. Because I feel like I've done a lot in such a short space of time. And I do suddenly have like, you know when you have the fear in the night and you wake up and you think, oh my God, what am I going to do when I'm like 40? I don't know. Because this is such a new career as well, you know, doing stuff online and um, that kind of influencer world. Like I never intended to do it as a career. It just sort of happened and I went along with it and that was great. But I never stopped to think, oh God, what am I going to do in five or 10 years time? I've just sort of gone with the flow and it's worked so far. So Fingers crossed, good things will still come if I put out good energy into the world. <laughs> <laughs> and what were you doing before this life then? What was your plan? So I was, I went to theatre school. I went to, um, I trained in musical theatre. Um, I was desperate to be on the West End stage and that was kind of my, my life goal. And um, I graduated um, early because I got a job um, and went into the UK tour of Annie which I did for a year touring the UK. Um, and then it was whilst I was on tour with that show that like my kind of blogging stuff really took off and I was offered a book deal. And so it was coming to the end of that show and, and I had another book, because it was a two book deal, I had another book at, uh, in the pipeline. And I kind of thought to myself, I can't continue doing both of these, but running both of these lives because I was doing like up to 10 shows a week in a different city every week. I was exhausted. And then at the same time trying to write a book. Um, so I got to the end of that contract and I thought I'm going to take some time away and just maybe have a bit of a think about what I want to do. Um, and I'll go back to auditioning soon. And that was always my plan. And then I stopped, um, you know, auditioning and stuff and then um, focused on the book and, and all the other stuff that was going on. And I haven't really looked back since. So, yeah. Never say never. I'd still love to go back, but that was my that was my previous life. Yeah, I was going to say, do you not think you'll ever go back to musical theatre? I, I mean, I love it so much, and I still get so much joy from going to the theatre now. Like it's one of my favourite things to do, and I think there's something nice as well about like when I was in that world, I was still in quite a bad place in terms of like it's it's such a toxic world for body image, for comparison culture, and so. I think part of me was almost a slightly, in a way, relieved to step away from it in the sense that um, I found that level of pressure quite intense. Um, and actually now I look back and, and look at the industry in such a better light because like, I can still enjoy all the amazing parts of theatre that I really loved and fell in love with without having that toxic environment that I, that I remember as well being a part of it. So... I think, you know, I, I would definitely go back if the right opportunity came along, but I think it would have to be the right thing. And I think, you know, I would definitely go into it with a different mindset than where I found myself like four or five years ago. And were you always quite a self-conscious person or do you feel like being in that world made it worse? I mean, I think we all have our insecurities. Like growing up, I definitely went through different phases as a teenager where I felt confident at times and then I felt like I had zero confidence and I think you know my my teenage years were definitely a roller coaster of of um f like discovering myself and kind of 
Um, like I said, like there were times when I, when I did feel really confident, but then I also, like, I remember there was this one time and it still sticks with me now. And I was walking down the high street in the village where I live and this boy that I really fancied walked past me with his friends. And I was like, oh my God. And then he was like, you've got tree trunk legs. And I was like, and literally, like, I just wanted oh, the ground no. to swallow me up. You know, boys can be so nasty as well. And that stuck with me for so long. So, like, for years, I hated my legs. I would never have my legs out. I'd never wear shorts. And it's funny how, like, you can have your confidence knocked like that. But I think then going into the musical theatre world and going away to college, it really did put a big microscope on all of those insecurities and enhance them by a thousand. Because suddenly... You're in a leotard and tights every single day in a room with girls with legs up to here. And I know you can't see what I'm doing, but I'm five foot one, so I'm tiny. <laughs> <laughs> and then there were like, you know, my best friend, Emily, bless her, she's amazing. But she was like six foot with legs up to my neck. Um, and it really does make you think, oh God, I'm not good enough. I'm, I, you know, she's got this, they've got that. They, they're amazing at this, they're amazing at that. And you start to question every single thing about yourself. Even though, you know, the beauty of theatre is that you know your 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 best selling point is that you are unique and you know that's 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 supposedly supposed to be your you know your number one card um or your number one th- like thing that you celebrate but unfortunately i found that as someone that maybe went into it with slight you know anxieties around the way i look i really felt that i suddenly fell into this big trap of constant comparison um constantly never feeling good enough and as a result i think you know, my, my studies suffered. I was so, you know, I remember like never putting myself at the front of classes, never pushing myself, never really like wanting to put my head above the parapet because I was so fearful of, of, you know, what other people would think, which is such a shame now I look back at it, but you know, we live and we learn. And was that around the same time that you had, um, quite an abusive relationship? Was that around the same age? No, that was when I, that was when I was at school. So I I had like a really like I said like I had definitely definitely ups and downs in my childhood but for the most part it was you know very happy very loving family all that kind of stuff um and it was when I was um 16 and I started to get a bit of an independence and be able to go out and have fun with my friends and stuff and I remember asking my mum to go to a party with one of my friends that wasn't actually at my school and I knew that like it was a crowd of people that she probably wouldn't wouldn't like me hanging around with but I you know I just wanted to do that thing where I went out and was really independent so I went and I met this guy and you know to start with it was it was great and he showered me with love and affection and I suddenly had all this attention that you know as someone who never really had a proper boyfriend before it was like oh my goodness this is amazing he was a bit older than me um but I mean, that was very short-lived and it quickly turned into um, a relationship that was both physically and emotionally and you know, psychologically abusive and stole like a year of my life where I was just reduced to like a shadow of myself. And at 16, it's, it's a time when you should be, you know, going out and having fun with your friends. And I just lost myself. I, I lost all contact with my friends. I became like completely um withdrawn from from life uh from my family from my friends from everything that was going on um and it was all because I was I was just in such a toxic relationship and I was so um I was so afraid of of first of all leaving but then also anyone else finding out about 
the situation because I was so embarrassed and I was so um, ashamed that I had let myself get into a relationship that, you know, from the outside, I should I should have never been in that position. And, you know, I'd, I'd like to have thought of myself as like an intelligent girl who, you know, had who was confident and knew herself. But unfortunately, and that's the thing with abuse is like, it doesn't matter who you are, it can happen to anyone. And, and the difficult thing is that it was such a a gradual kind of um, descent into into that, like the really bad stuff. So it happens so like without you even realizing it. And then suddenly when it's too late, you're very, you're very much trapped. And I was, did, I actually did a, so I'm an ambassador for um, this charity called Women's Aid, who are one of the leading um, domestic abuse charities in the UK. I did a little Instagram live Q and A with them last week. And I was saying how I think a lot of people's perception of an abusive relationship is that it's bad 100% of the time. And actually that's the really dangerous misconception is that actually what happens is in many, many cases, it's such peaks and troughs. You will have such a low point where you are physically abused or something awful happens where you just think, oh my God, that's it. But then that is then followed by the highs of showering you with presents, taking you out for dinners, you know, telling you they love you so much and they're so sorry and it's so awful and they can't believe they've done it. And there's always an excuse as well. You know, we were talking about how in the current situation, for example, you know, it doesn't matter how stressed and anxious someone is in self-isolation, it's never an excuse to abuse someone. And, you know, widening that, there is never an excuse to abuse someone. But when you're in that sort of trapped state, it's so difficult to be able to rationalise what's going on. And yeah, like I said, I think... um, unfortunately I realized how bad things had got too late and then I was trapped and you know it took Mm. the police and a court case and um, all sorts of trauma um, to actually be able to fully withdraw from that situation. And were people around you aware of it at the time do you think? Um I mean my family's amazing and I think they knew that something was going on I'm really close with my mum and she's always said to me like I know when something's wrong with you because you just completely withdraw but I don't think she knew fully the extent of what was going on because a lot of the time I would be out of the house. I, I was, you know, he would he was very much controlling to the point that he would always want me to be with him where he lived, you know. So she didn't see a lot of what happened. Um, and then with my friends, absolutely not. You know, there were there was a couple of friends who had witnessed really like controlling behaviour and had sort of said, Alice, I don't think this is normal. Like I think you know you need to leave him. But I was so blinded by the the kind of the good parts Mm. that I just couldn't see what you know how deep I'd got do you think it becomes a bit of like a it's definitely a vicious cycle but I've seen it with some friends where it almost becomes like a bit of an addictive cycle where you have the bad bit and then you work so hard to get it to the good bit you know you want to please and you want to get back around to that bit where it feels good and then when you get that it's almost like you've achieved it you've you've got their recognition and their love back and then it kind of goes round and round in circles. Yeah, and I also think there's something in that that like, I think, you know, we as women feel responsible for making someone happy. And the thing that I realised, you know, coming out of that and then also now coming into like a really healthy relationship, you see, uh, you see the complete difference in, you know, like you said, like relationships, of course, have to be worked at. But it also shouldn't be that you're constantly putting in 90% of the work. 
you know, and they're only giving you 10% and sometimes occasionally a little bit more. You know, there's that term that like the girls that love bad boys. And I think that's a slightly addictive thing and that we almost want that kind of like hard to get. But then actually when we get there, it's never as like it's never as good. I don't know. I think I think mm. you're right. I think it can be addictive. I think yes and no. In my situation, I don't think I was addicted to that like high and low kind of thing. I just was so trapped. Um, mm. The hardest thing with with abusive relationships is is how to get out because they know everything about you. They have you know he would check my phone. He would have you know. I remember when I first tried to end it, he would ring my home phone. It through the night, my parents had to unplug the home phone. He would just constantly ring up, ring. He'd turn up on my doorstep. It's like it becomes so overbearing and so uh, so hard to see your life without them because they've they've just gone into every single part of your life mm. that you almost it's just easier to just be like, okay, fine, let's just stay together then. Like it was, it's just they break you down to exhaustion, and then it's like, okay, fine, let's just. And, you know, there'll be awful things like he would, you know, threaten to commit suicide and do things like that where you suddenly have all of this, you know, if you if I threaten to break up with him and you suddenly are confronted with the fact that, like, you can't bear the thought of them doing that because of you and it becomes your fault. You know, it's, it's these kind of mind games that I found just so hard. And, as, and, and also now I can look at it in an objective way and be very much kind of like, this is what happened to me. I've dealt with it. You know, I've had therapy and I'm very much clear on what was happening. But as a 16-year-old, it was just so, so difficult to get my head around and so so difficult to kind of know what was right, what was wrong, understand what was a healthy relationship. One of the things that I'm really passionate about talking about now is like in young women, what constitutes a healthy relationship and getting them to understand that even the smallest things like their boyfriend constantly checking their phone, that's not okay. Um, that mm. their boyfriend wanting to constantly know where they are, that's not okay. And, and, you know, I wish I'd had that when I was in, in, you know, when I was 16, because maybe it would have been that wake up call that I needed early on that something wasn't quite right. Well, 16 is such a young age to be in a relationship like that. And I think they probably go undetected quite a lot because everyone assumes that it happens to like older and like married people that live together. Yeah. Because you would think if you're not living together, it's quite hard to get into that situation. Mm. So what was it then that made you realize, right, this isn't right and I need to tell people and I need to do something about it? Well, there was a couple of things. I think um, it was when when his behavior started to seep into my my life. So I'd mentioned that um, like I tried to keep him as separate as possible from everything else that was going on. So my parents didn't really know what was going on. None of my friends did. But when his behavior started to creep into my life in in that for example ringing the house phone turning up at my house I remember he turned up at my house one time and like screamed in my mum's face and you know just awful things and I just thought this is this is too much I need to end it but actually the worst part was it took for so um I tried to end it numerous times numerous times never quite did it and then he ended up I was at school I was um with my friends I was walking um from one lesson to another Um, where I went to school, this car pulls up on the pavement in the middle of the high street. He gets out with his friend and assaults me in the middle of the street. And, you know, I have, you know, witnesses there. And, and, um, you know, I knew for a fact that that was suddenly like proof. And I know that sounds so um, awful to say that you're like, it almost took something so awful as that for me to suddenly be like, oh my God, thank God. Like people will believe me 
it caused with abuse. Well, because it would have been your word against his as well, wouldn't it? So Exactly. But also with abuse in general, it mostly happens behind closed doors. You know, it doesn't really happen in the street. So for women, sometimes the hardest hurdle to overcome for them to go to the police or to, to take action is, I don't think anyone's going to believe me. Who's going to believe me? Mm. It's my word against his. He's, he, you know, he's going to say this, he's going to say that. So that actually stops them from, from often getting help. Um, and, I, and I definitely recognise that within my situation. It was suddenly the relief of like, oh my God, people can see how bad this is and I need help. And so from there, the police came to the school and it was very, like, it was very traumatic. And, and, you know, at a time when you want people to think you're really cool and you're a 16 year old and you're like, you're in sick form and whatever, um, suddenly to have all that kind of like shame brought upon me from, the, from you know, I was the girl who, you know, almost got beaten up at school and that the police turned up and stuff. I, I, I found it quite, um, it was something that I wanted to forget quite quickly. And I think that's why in terms of my recovery, I buried it so, so deep that it was only like five years later that I started to deal with those emotions. But you said like you felt shame, which is really sad because it shouldn't have been you that felt any shame in that situation. Yeah, but but I mean, I think it's so common that that, you like in almost all abusive relationships you attribute some of the blame to yourself because you've been gaslighted constantly into believing that I'm only doing this because you behave like that you're the reason why I'm doing this oh it's your fault which is what makes you stay yeah you're the reason why I get so angry and slowly but surely you start you start to be convinced that it is it must be you you're the reason why you know uh, it's my fault I do this I make him do that And actually, like, that's, you know, now I know, of course, that, like, that's never, ever okay. And it's never, uh, never an excuse to abuse someone. But unfortunately, at the time, um, that kind of that that gaslighting that that occurred throughout the entirety of the relationship broke me down to a point where I just felt completely to blame. Have you found that it's affected you in relationships since then? Well, I was single for quite a long time after that. And I I actually think it was such a positive thing for me to take time to like just be on my own and I I really enjoyed like I went away to uni like I said I went to, to uh, uni and and whilst there were times where it was really difficult in terms of body image in fact I made some of the best friends there and people that I'm friends with you know to this day and who are some of my closest friends and I had an amazing time um, so I think actually what it did was it just made me want to enjoy my enjoy my, my own space my own life um, you know, be comfortable with who I was. And then, you know, going on to the clean eating Alice journeys <laughs> from when I started my Instagram, <laughs> that was really me, like sort of starting to find myself and be like, oh, okay, like I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna do something for me. I'm gonna feel confident in who I am. And um, so, yeah, I, I, I mean, I had boyfriends on and off at university, but never really like that serious. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I, I I think it's impacted me in that I'm slightly more reserved maybe when I enter into a new relationship. But like I've been with my boyfriend now for three and a half years and and actually it's just so, it's so nice to have gone from one extreme to the other. Like, you know, I have, I have been in a terrible place in a relationship, but also now I can completely see how amazing the one I am in now is. And I think as cheesy as that sounds, mm-hmm. <laughs> it is actually oh, it's nice. it's really nice. And what kind of started this like fitness journey then? When did you kind of start going down that road? When I was at musical theatre schools, I spent my first year doing all of the wrong things, like classic kind of 
I think I want to lose weight, but I don't really know how. So I'm going to live off like Diet Cokes and Kit Kats and binge on pizza and ice cream at the weekend, which is totally normal, by the way. And I'm really happy that I did that because it was such a fun year. Um, but coming into my <laughs> second year, I, I, well, at the end of my first year, actually, I had this, um, had an amazing jazz teacher who I really liked. And um, I remember having my assessment kind of thing with her and she sat me down. And she was like, Alice, you just need to be stronger. Bearing in mind, I fell flat on my bum in my first year jazz assessment. She was like, you just need to be stronger. Alice. You <laughs> fell over in your jazz assessment. So let's just work on your strength here. I mean, it was mortifying at the time, but now I, all my friends laugh about it. But anyway, so I took those words and I was like, right, okay, I need to do something where I'm not doing silly, crazy fads and I'm not following some stupid diet advice from the back page of a magazine. I actually want to like be healthier, be physically strong and get myself in the best place because I knew, and I know this sounds a bit bad, but I knew I was never going to be the best dancer in my year or even the best, you know, performer or whatever. But I thought to myself, well, if I can be really strong and like fit, then at least I'll have a better chance of sort of like not getting injured and having a good career. Um, so that became my mission. And I just started, um, there was a few things that I did. I, I followed the body coach early on and I was like doing some of what his stuff. And um, there was another company called London Muscle who did like a weight training program for women. So that was kind of like my first foray into, into weight training. And I'd never been a sporty kid. Like I'd never liked exercise. I was never on any of the sports teams at school. But suddenly when I started weight training and I went into the gym, I just felt so empowered. It was the first time in my life where I'd ever done something where I was like, oh my God, I think I'm quite good at this. And I think this is for me, because exercise, I think we all put it in a box of like dripping with sweat and running on a treadmill. And I was, that was just never my vibe. I, I hate running, hate it. So finally I found something where I was like, oh my God, I think I'm actually quite good at this and, and I enjoy it. And so um, I started going to the gym and at the same time I was starting to understand, I mean, I'm, I'm not a professional nutritionist, but I started to understand a little bit more about nutrition, you know, what constituted a healthy diet, which I had no concept of before that. <laughs> Understanding that, you know, vegetables were quite important. Um, the role of protein as well, you know, I, something I'd never really thought of, but I started to look at different sources of protein that were, you know, healthy um, and carbohydrates. You know, I was doing up to seven to eight hours of dancing a day. So I needed to understand how to fuel myself better so that I could, you know, last throughout a day and, and not dr drag with energy by the end of the end of the day. So that then started me or encouraged me to start taking pictures of what I was eating as well. And then it just went from there, really. I set up this little Instagram. I started taking pictures of the, my, my meals. And believe me, the first photos, I was telling someone about this the other day actually, were horrendous, as in like literally the most bland <laughs> meals you've ever seen in all your life. But then I quickly got my head around it. Like my mum's a really good cook. So I started to started to experiment with my cooking. And, and yeah, it just, just went from there really. Like I'm, I, I, I find it crazy that I am here where I, like where I am now. Um, because, you know, who'd have thought that from an Instagram page where you're posting pictures of like rubbish looking chicken, you could suddenly <laughs> write three books, but you know. This episode of Open Mind is brought to you in association with very.co.uk. Relaxation is really good for you. For a start, it can help to lower blood pressure and improve concentration and mood. 
So the more you chill, the better you feel. Which gives you a great excuse to check out Very's range of products designed to help you unwind, including night body butter, bath soaks, scented candles and cosy jumpsuits. It's time to live well, sleep well, eat well and spend well at very.co.uk. How did you find then going into, because I suppose social media, was it as big then as it is now? Like, how have you found that attention, especially as someone that suffered with like body image problems and stuff in the past? Yeah, I mean, when I like when I first started, it was great. Like Instagram was such a positive place. I mean, like Mm -hmm. it was it was so much smaller and like you know, I would interact with all of my followers. I would, you know, message people long, long messages back and spend loads of time sort of engaging with everyone. And, you know, when it did, when it started to grow quite quickly, I obviously found that a little bit more difficult, but I'd never felt that sense of like the spotlight being on me so much. I think because it was my journey and I was trying to be as authentic as possible with what I was doing in terms of just keeping it as, you know, what I do in in my life and not trying to be anything other than myself. I didn't find that too bad. And then I would say it was maybe like, maybe, yeah, like two or three years ago and I just started to feel the pressure of, there are so many people doing this. Am I doing it right? Am I doing enough? You know, that that little like comparison voice that sits on all of our shoulders and just whispers those like horrible things in our ear and tells us we're rubbish at life. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just <laughs> felt like that started to creep in and so I think that really like knocked me for, for a good few years. And, and it was also at a time when I was definitely transitioning from what I would describe, I guess, as, as slightly more disordered eating into trying to have a much more balanced lifestyle. Um, when I first, you know, started taking pictures of my meals and stuff, I had the best intentions in the world, but there was very much this kind of fitness diet culture that existed where everything was focused on being really lean and eating you know very bland very boring meals and um not really having any enjoyment with food and you know I hold my hands up and say I totally did that wore the t-shirt got the abs and was like hang on a second what do I do now this is a pretty miserable existence and I don't actually want want this I don't think when I when I'd initially changed my physique I totally believed that on reaching my kind of goal physique that I would be like, oh my God, this is amazing. Like I feel incredible and life is complete. And I got there and I was like, well, I don't. So what do I do now? And so I sort of around that time had a real word with myself and was like, this isn't, this isn't a way to live and it isn't a way to be. And I wanted to start just enjoying life more and I very much recognized at that point that health wasn't about being super lean, that it wasn't about, you know, the way that I looked. Actually, health is such a nuanced and complicated thing that means different things to different people. And at that point, mine was like, health is body, like health is how I look. Whereas like now, my 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 concept of health and how I approach it is so different to that. And it's been a real journey. Like I didn't just wake up that morning and go, right, I'm just going to eat rubbish and, and find my healthy balance straight away. You know, it was difficult sometimes because you'd lived such a restricted lifestyle that suddenly to like be gaining weight and, and um, to be eating in a different way was a bit of a challenge at times. Um, so it took like a good year for me to work through those things. Um, but I would say that coming out the end of that, 
and and then at the same time having that kind of like like we were talking about with the social media having that difficult time there I feel like definitely in the last sort of like year or maybe less than that even I've started to really like feel as though okay I kind of know who I am I know what I'm doing I feel a lot more grounded and maybe that comes with age as well I don't know I think as you get older you you care less and mm-hmm. maybe that's maybe that's it but yeah definitely I've had a had an up and down few years in terms of all that stuff but I feel like I'm I feel like I'm in a good place now which is good <laughs> Is, is that what made you feel confident enough? Because you posted a picture on your Instagram of like your body when you did the front cover of um, Women's Health and that was when you were super lean and then you posted a picture of you like a stone heavier and said that you were happier. And I have to say like, you look amazing in both. Like it's not like, you know, when someone says a stone, you're like, yeah. wow, that's a lot. And then you see that picture and you're like, okay, that's nothing. Where yeah. is it? Yeah. Um, so did you feel, did you do that as like a confidence boost for you? Or kind of, did you feel like you kind of owed that to your followers to be like, look, you can be both? And Yeah, I think, I think a bit of both. I think one thing that I've tried to always be is really honest. I think I've never pretended to have a perfect way of doing things. I've never sort of, you know, touted my way as being like, everyone should follow me. I'm going to appoint myself guru status and therefore, you know, everyone do what I do because you're going to look like me if you do what I do. Like, that's never really been my way. I've always just kind of tried to tell people what I do, be honest with everything that I do. And that means that you have to share the highs and the lows and you have to share vulnerability and you have to share the mistakes. And I'm not saying that, you know, everything that I did was a mistake, but I definitely did things that I look back now and think I would never do that. And it's really important that I share that just as much as there are loads of great things that have happened over the last couple of years, there are also things that I look back and think, I want to tell you why I did that. And I want to explain why I now think that's wrong. And I think that's been really empowering for me because on going on my own sort of journey with that behind the scenes, it feels quite cathartic to then also share that with people and say, do you know what? Like I made a mistake and I want to explain why instead of having people sort of like, I guess, call me out on stuff or say, oh, you know, because I would have DMs all the time. Have you gained weight? Are you pregnant? Are you this? Really? Oh my God, all the time. Even like, even now I have people message me saying, are you pregnant? Um, how, um, I know you've gained weight. Are you still happy with that? And I'm like, oh God. So I think, you know, sometimes by addressing things publicly, I sort of feel like I can just answer answer all of those kind of criticisms and it it doesn't bother me now like it really doesn't um but I think I do find that naturally having blogged for or blogged or whatever you want to call it been on Instagram for far over five years you are going to make mistakes and I think I've always been someone who likes to own up to that and say you know I hold my hands up you know this wasn't something that I would be proud of saying I do now but um actually I, I have found that a really cathartic process and particularly with that photo for example I just want people to recognize that like I think I think we need to have less focus on the, the way we look on the body um, and I know that's slightly ironic by posting two photos of a body but I think you know in the second photo I, I just care much less you know I'm not so focused on having chiseled abs and you know really defined shoulders it, it, it matters less to me it holds less value because that that's very much not how I perceive health now and and what I'm actually trying to achieve with you know my life and my business do you think some of that has come from having more confidence though as well 
Yeah, I do think so. I think, you know, and by the way, I'm not sitting here being like, I wake up every day feeling super confident. I still have. (laughs) Of course not. (laughs) And I'm sure we all do. And I think that's really normal. And I don't want to don't want it to seem as though I'm suddenly, you know, you arrive at a place where you're like, life is amazing. I look great. I'm super confident because even, Mm. you know, as you go through life, your body is going to change and you're going to be challenged by different things. And you will always have, you know, we will all have days when we feel more confident and less confident. And I think that's really normal. But yes, I do think that alongside that, there comes a sense of like, I think the term is almost like body neutrality, where it's like, I'm not going to judge myself. I'm not going to, I'm not going to say I'm good or bad. I, I just am what I am. And sometimes that's going to be, you know, X and sometimes it's going to be Y. And actually like, I'm okay with both. Um, and I think particularly for me with exercise, I think that's where I find exercise really liberating in that because I focus less now on, on using exercise or food to, to look a certain way it becomes almost way more for like my mental well-being and makes me feel really good about my body almost all the time because I feel strong I feel empowered I feel you know really kind of good about myself without having to look in a mirror and be like oh yeah I feel good about myself do you know what I mean yeah definitely um I some, I think sometimes when you do a workout even if you've done like half an hour and you know it's not going to have changed your body I think mentally it just puts you in that mindset of like you're doing something I mean obviously it's all the endorphins as well but you feel like you're doing something to help your body so you instantly feel better yeah exercise isn't really about just the body it's also about what it does for our mental well-being for our cognitive function for our you know just our mental health it's you know movement is directly linked to how we feel both physically and mentally so I think you know it's totally understandable that if someone gets up and does half an hour of exercise it doesn't matter whether it's made a difference to their body you feel better for it and it's that feeling that I really want people to try and harness onto and remember when they're like feeling low in motivation or feeling challenged by 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 starting an exercise journey and are you someone then that does suffer suffer with anxiety the more, the more I understand about anxiety, the more I think we all sometimes suffer with it in varying degrees. And like mine, I would say the severity of mine varies a lot and has been, you know, over the past few years, it has been really, really bad and quite debilitating. Um, currently, you know, I, I'm, I actually feel, feel really good and I haven't had um, serious anxiety for a while, but definitely, um, I mean, coming out of the relationship that I spoke about earlier, was when I suffered my first sort of series of panic attacks that were really terrifying to the point that I remember screaming at my mom saying, take me to a and I think I'm dying. Like I, I was so convinced oh, wow. that I was like on the way out um, because I just couldn't breathe and I did, I'd never had one and I didn't know. And it's terrifying panic attacks. You know, for anyone that's had one, your rational thought totally escapes you. So suddenly you are totally convinced that what is happening to you is 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 you know you can't breathe and all you can think about is that rather than trying to focus on the other things around you and trying to focus on calming yourself down and for me I find them the most terrifying thing and they still happen I had one on the tube like not even that long ago and I was completely convinced that I was like having a heart attack like completely convinced came out the tube was crying on the side of the tube you know it's just like it, it can be really debilitating I would say that like my anxiety is up and down depending on various different things but I think that 
Um, one of the things that I connect it to is not sort of taking time to relax, like constantly being on the go and throwing myself into busy things. I'm very, very good at distracting myself with always doing something that when I stop and have time to think about stuff, I can suddenly start to really work myself up into a bit of a state. And um, so I try and make sure that I, I give myself time just to be calm and to like deal with stuff in the first instance so that I don't become a pressure cooker where suddenly I stop after like two weeks of being really busy and have like a huge panic attack or, or have terrible anxiety. Um, but I also think, you know, I, I recognise, like I said earlier, I think we all have varying degrees, degrees of anxiety. And I think the biggest thing is allowing yourself to, to feel those feelings and not judge yourself um, because all of those feelings are valid. I think sometimes we all feel so guilty for feeling bad, especially like now, for example, like if anyone complains about anything that isn't truly awful, you think, oh God, first world problems. But actually like, I think, you know, we all have experiences of anxiety and stress and being able to talk about those openly without fear of judgment is so important because we can start to accept that our feelings are valid, that it's okay to feel anxious and stressed um, and that actually, the more you talk about it, the better, because l like I said, relating to that pressure cooker, that's how I see it often with people is that unless you let off some steam quite regularly, you're going to blow up, you know, you're going to, you're going to, um, overflow with, with, with stress and anxiety. So yeah, I, I think that it's something that, you know, I hope will become more talked about. I know that you're doing amazing things for like mental health. And I think, you know, I've seen that space completely open up over the last couple of years. And it's incredible because mm. I think, you know, the more that people are talking about it, the better we will all be. Um, and particularly at the moment as well. Um, so, yeah, I just hope that it, it's something that becomes much more accepted and understood so that people aren't seen as like drama queens, you know, that I've been called many times. Yeah, but... I do. I do think at the minute it's quite hard. I think people are finding it difficult online particularly to kind of not complain but to just say how they're feeling you know like um I think we're all aware that there's people that have it a lot harder than than you or someone else and are those people better off as well and I think it's um it's a difficult time because everyone's aware of that and you can have those people that forget that everyone has their own thing like you said everyone has their own stresses their own worries and anxieties and everyone deals with things in a different way and sometimes I think it's really hard if you open up and say these things and then you get someone that's like oh poor you and my life's harder and this that the other and um I always think it, it's not a competition and you have to put things into perspective and that was the main reason I spoke because I am someone that is perceived to have the perfect life yet I was still really unwell and um and I think that's what happens to a lot of people you know not every I think especially with social media everyone kind of looks like they have this perfect life um and it's it, it's really hard to know what bits to share and what bits not to share and I remember reading that about your your story when you when you came out and, and spoke about all the stuff that um that you'd been through and I remember like resonating with a lot of that because I think to a certain extent and much less than you but to a certain extent I felt a lot of that that I'd had this sort of like rise of success and people kind of put you on a pedestal as though everything must be perfect you know exactly what you're doing you're like you must have all your shit together 
Um, but to suddenly come out and say, actually, I don't think I do, feels like the most terrifying thing in the world because you think that if you admit to that, everything will come crashing down. You'll be, you know, you'll be cancelled overnight and it'll just be all over. And and I really, like, I can completely sympathise with um, you saying that, like, being in the public eye, you, you feel as though you have to um, achieve perfection constantly. And I think that's not helped by the media. You know, unfortunately our media is is such that as soon as someone slips up they're on the front page of a magazine or you know and I think that's such an awful culture to exist in but also I think you know I see it online as well people are so quick to criticize others people are so quick to call about other people out on their on their mistakes and you know going back to what I was saying earlier I think it's it's amazing that we make mistakes it's amazing that we show vulnerability it's amazing that we um can can do things where we have the space to say oops god you know what I did that but I'm really sorry let's move on I think you know, isn't that a, such more of a positive existence than than just suddenly expecting people to be perfect and then as soon as they make one mistake or they or they expose one flaw, they're written off. So, yeah, I agree because I think it's it's very much like it's not just about those people in the public eye because that being written about trickles down to the people reading it that aren't necessarily in the public eye and it makes it like you're not allowed to make a mistake. You have to be perfect at all times. And human beings, we learn, we make mistakes, we chip up and we learn from them and we and we move on. And I think there is this culture now where younger kids and adults are feeling like you can't, you can't mess up, you can't make a mistake because then you're imperfect and then you're a bad person. And I think there's this pressure to be amazing at everything, you know, have the have the friendships and the social life, have the family, have the house, the money, the job. And, and there's so many things. And like you say, you spend a lot of your time on social media comparing yourself to everyone. And it's really hard not to do that. Um, so I think, you know, when you do things like your picture where you can say, look, this is how I look. Everyone would think I felt amazing and my life was perfect, but now I'm like this and I'm happier you know and I think those things are important what would you say for you know people that are stuck at home at the minute that are kind of not feeling very motivated to do any sort of um fitness um and to just sit like me and eat biscuits and crisps because I need some help Alice (laughs) (laughs) I saw your workout in your stories yesterday and I was like wow I'm impressed oh that was so hard (laughs) (laughs) No, I think it's fine. I think, you know, it's it's such a tricky time to to really feel motivated because we're existing in the same space. So, you know, usually where you would go to a class or you'd go to the gym and you'd sort of have that immediate sense of motivation to get yourself worked up to work out in your front room is probably not so enticing. So I totally get it. I think most of the advice that I've been giving has been around try not to put too much pressure on yourself to do anything. Like you, you will find your mojo and you will, but like, forcing yourself to exercise is never a good thing you know it's never going to have a positive outcome the first thing that I would do is I would start with like 10 minutes a day or every other day or every other day like every three days it doesn't matter but just starting with something small you know we spoke about earlier how um the feeling of exercising is generally what gets people to come back to it like you finish a workout, you feel great, you remember that feeling and suddenly the next time you're motivated to do it you're like oh I remember how great I feel I'm going to do it again I think the thing is, is that try and make it, if you can, 
a habit or part of your routine. So during this period of self-isolation, I think all of us would thrive of having a bit of structure and a bit of routine. So even if it is going to be just 10 minutes, try and do that 10 minutes every morning, you know, you get up, you have a coffee or whatever, and then you're going to do 10 minutes of exercise. And that's really going to set you up for your day. Um, or if you prefer working out in the evening, you know, get up, have your day and then set aside that 10 minutes to do something. And as you start to build that up and you start to kind of increase your fitness levels, build that up to 20 minutes and maybe 30 minutes, but like, just take it slow. You know, this, this isn't a sprint, it's a marathon. We're going to be in this situation for a wee while. So sit back, chill out and just try and do things that feel you know, challenging enough for you. No one's expecting you to sort of be doing four HIIT workouts in a day. It's just crazy and not healthy. So taking it in your own pace and just sort of, you know, doing it when you feel like it and and, and trying to make it part of your of your routine and, and, and make it a habit. I think that's a great idea because I think a lot of people think, well, unless I do an hour, there's no point in doing it. Um, and I think that's a really nice thing to say is like, just build yourself up, start with 10 minutes, see how you feel. And if you feel like you can do more, do more. Like I'm someone that begrudgingly goes to the gym quite a lot in normal life, <laughs> um, not quarantine life, um, as and when I feel like it. And I'm one of those people, I hate every second of it, but afterwards I do feel good for it. And while we've been in lockdown, I've tried to do something every day because it really makes my mood so much better but I've only been doing like half an hour and they're all like dance ones or like I've even been doing these step classes which is so old school I did a grapevine the other day and I was like I feel like my mum from back in like the Mr Motivator days um but I loved it because I think I have to remember little sequences and it doesn't feel like a workout and I leave in a good mood because I've enjoyed it I've not tortured myself so I think that's such a good such a good message just kind of start yourself up and, and build yourself up and then see how you get on so thank you um good luck with the rest of lockdown and um it was so nice to see your lovely little fresh face and keep doing what you're doing thanks Alice have a good rest of your day bye, bye. Open Mind, the podcast, is sponsored by very.co.uk.